Turn with me, if you would, this morning to John chapter 19. We'll be reading 1 through verse 17. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring forth unto you, that you may know that I find in him no fault. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. And when the chief priest therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more troubled, and went again into the judgment hall, and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not that I have the power to crucify thee and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, he says unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Lord, again, we do thank you for your word to us. We do thank you, Lord, that you have given to us assurance that Christ fully and totally gave himself to the justice of God against sin for us, that we might not have to be judged. But to those, Lord, who do deny Thee, there is an eternal hell, an eternal justice that will be upon them forever. Help us, Lord, to see sin as that bad and men as that wicked. And Lord, we are to be thankful that You have saved us out of our sin that is so damning. Now guide us as we hear Your Word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this morning as we come to chapter 19, we see Jesus is, is now returning from being in Pilate's court. He brings him back to 
the people outside where the Jews, the holy, righteous, godly people they are, they stand there waiting to look upon him and to hear those words, take him and crucify him. First of all, Pilate has got to a point he's trying as hard as he can to release Jesus. must understand, Jesus does not want to be released. This is part of the work that He's been given to do by His Father that He Himself covenanted to do for us before time. And this is the moment. And so now we see that again, Jesus is ready to go. And the first step is the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. Remember that the Scripture teaches us without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. And when we come to crucifixion, there is some blood, but not very much when it really gets down to it. But part of the ceremonial aspect of the crucifixion, remember the lamb was taken, his throat was slit, and they got blood enough to sprinkle all over the altar. Where is that much blood coming from in Christ? Remember that part of it, and the Romans, and when they crucified someone, they would get the blood in the beginning. They didn't want to have to wait a week for a person to die on the cross. They made it so he was bleeding before. And so they would use what was known as a cat of nine tails. It was some ropes that they had put together with a handle on them. There were about nine, say, rungs of, of rope coming out of them to make a whip with nine parts, very loose. And in the end of those, the, those pieces of rope, they would tie iron, copper, lead, rocks, small sharp rocks, and glass. And those who did this knew how to use it. Josephus, the Jewish writer, and Eusebius, one of the first of the early church fathers, who even, I believe, knew John, writes and describes this, what happened and what he saw. That when the Romans scourged somebody, that when each one of those whips slashed into that back, there was meat and blood started coming out. And he said it was possible, I don't know if he had seen it, but he discusses it, that there were times when you could literally see the internal organs of somebody after the beating that they took. And many people died just in the scourge. So this is what's happening to Christ. And notice how the Romans mock Him. Now remember, the Romans, along with Pilate, hated the Jews, and they disdained them. So here's Jesus, and remember, these Roman soldiers out outside while Herod is talking with Christ. They had nothing to do with the Sanhedrin court. And so they're not up to speed as to knowing who Christ is other than He's one that the Jews say is their king. Which again, they think is a mockery to Caesar. And so when they have their day with Christ at this time, they put all into it. And they go beyond the normal. First of all, they put a crown of thorn upon His head. Now these thorn bushes that are in Israel, I've seen them when I was there, they have thorns on them that are very sharp and they go from anywhere from a half inch to an inch and a half depending on which brand of bush you get. But any of them that you would put on a head, they would put it on there and then they would take a staff or a stick and tap the head and it would begin to bleed 
profusely after they had beat him on the head with these sticks. They put, again, a robe around him. Mark says they gave him a scepter, a stem, a reed. Not very strong, but they gave him a reed to hold. And then they began to bow to him and kneel before him and to say, Hail, King of the Jews! Now how belittling, because the word hail means rejoice. Be joyful. Your king is here. You have every reason to be in joy, but not this. This is the mockery that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was taking from man. These men would be the men who would put Him on the cross. And remember, when we come all the way back to Genesis, Genesis tells us, remember the crown of thorns. What is it? In the fall, God curses the ground, and it shall bring forth thorns and thistles and weeds. This very cursed thorn bush is used. Christ Himself will be murdered. Remember God after He drove them out. And He gave the law of capital punishment. Murder was to be paid for with the guilty party's life by man. And again, understood that it's going to be by the courts, not by individuals, but nonetheless, it's to be done by court and because man is made in the image of God. So therefore, by man must His blood be shed. These men are shedding the blood of God which He's giving for His church. The unbeliever has no clue what he's doing. But this is the actuality of the situation. Our Savior has given to us Himself. This was part of His agony. This was the bloodletting, we might say, as He is scourged and His blood runs down His spine down his garments from the waist down, then now calls him back to him. And he says, again, after they go through this ceremony, calling him Hail, King of the Jews, and now Pilate comes out with him, and he brings him forth, and he says, I find no fault in him. I find no fault. He is innocent. Here's a man who has already been declared innocent in chapter 18, verse 38 now being brought out as innocent and should be free to leave, now being scourged as one who is preparing to die on the cross, which he was. Now remember, along these lines, still has the intent of getting Christ off. He's looking for an avenue of escape so he can let him go. Because he sees the Jews those men that are supposed to be the most righteous people in Israel doing this. And so now he says, and they came and he says, I find no fault. He says, and then came Jesus forth wearing the crown. You can imagine these scribes and Pharisees as they see this picture of this man's body broken. Now he's got the robe on which does hide his shoulders and back. No doubt it's probably got blood stains coming through that as he wears it on the sleeves and on the shoulders. His face is covered in blood that's run down from the thorns on his head and they have been beating it and then they've been slapping him in the face, walking in circles like musical chairs, just slapping him, saying, Hail, 
king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. Maybe eyes already black and blue. Nose running. And now Pilate, and I think in a way that is really demeaning to the Jews, which was a righteous way for him to handle this situation, he brings out Jesus and he says, I want you to look at this man. Look at this man. His intent was maybe there's a spot that's soft in their heart and not hard clay. Look at this man. Look at how he has been beaten to a pulp. He's almost at the point of death now. Look at him. Hands, feet, his face, his hair matted with the blood and his face uh, with dried blood and still blood running down it. And so again, these men are seeking their own righteousness and thinking themselves to be doing God a favor. They really do. This is how the darkness of man is. And so he says, they say again to him, Behold the man. And so now as we come to verse 8, Pilate therefore heard this saying, he was more afraid. They just screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. But now Pilate, as he's looking, says he's more afraid when he sees how Christ stands up to this. He says, remember the Jews have just got through saying, we have a law. Now the word we there is intensive. It's like the I when I say I myself. They're saying, we ourselves, the righteous, holy, compassionate men and rulers of the church in Israel, we have a law. It's not their law. It's God's law. It belongs to them by virtue that they are the sons of Abraham and being given a duty as priests. But again, it's not their law. It's God's law, and God's the one who determines who it is used against in judgment. And God knows who a blasphemer is and who is not. And this is His own very Son, whom they have again charged with blasphemy, and uses God's law to slay His own Son. When He heard the words, He's made Himself the Son of God, it says Pilate was taken back, and He says, and he was more afraid, and he wanted more to let him go. How can I get this man freed? He may be also under the spell of his wife, remember whom, had a dream the night before of Jesus, and she comes to him, and she says to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I have suffered many things this night because of him. We don't know what those were. Maybe she somehow God gave her a vision of the crucifixion of Christ and what the end would be. I don't know, but nonetheless. And so now he takes him back in to the court where the Jews can't hear. And so now he brings him and he says, Whence are you? That is, where did you come from? He understands one thing, that Jesus is different than anyone he's had in his court. By this point, in a court where penalty is crucifixion, a man would be on his knees begging for mercy because he knows exactly what he has to endure before he dies. And so now, whence are you? You're not begging. And when he asked that question, from whence are you, Jesus stood there. He didn't answer him. Remember, he's still being interrogated as though he has not been found innocent. 
Herod wants to let him go. And so he doesn't say anything. And so then he says unto them in verse 10, Knowest not thou that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Now think, everything Jesus has been through, slapping, the mocking, I mean, it's unbelievable the things that He went to, and now yet, He is God. They don't understand it. We understand it because we got the Scripture. The scribes and the Pharisees should have understood it. They have Moses' law, which they prided themselves in knowing. But Jesus doesn't say anything. And then when He says, I have power over you to crucify you or to release you. Jesus simply says unto him, If it were not for my Father, you would have no power. He says to him, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee has the greater sins. And we'll look at it just a little bit. These men are getting ready to have God's wrath poured out upon them in this generation. Not final judgment, but their judgment will begin in their own lifetime for the most part. Christ has already told them what's going to happen to them. That they are the worst generation of people who have ever lived in the earth. And so he says again, they have the greater guilt, even more than Pilate, though he was spineless, though he sought the praise of man, he was afraid to lose his office and all the things that he feared, they are worse. And then it says, and from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. Jesus, in his calmness, scares Pilate. He brings the fear of God to him. And so now, it says, and he now seeks to find a way to let him out. But now the Jews do not stop. They know how to get at Pilate. He says, again, they cry out, saying, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now notice what they've just done. They've taken Caesar and says, He is to be obeyed over God and His Word. Over His Messiah who is come and stands before them. In essence, they said, We are the blasphemers. We ought to be stoned is what God says. And God will see them stoned in some sense, in a way, when the temple is dragged down and all the stones of it are broken up and come down upon them when the Romans drive in the walls. Jesus, again, you have no power. God rules. See, we can really say as Christians, all things work together for the good of them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. All we have to do is look at the horrendous death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. How low He went to die for us. All things, the death of our Lord and Jesus Christ brings salvation to those the Father has given to Him. And so, 
Now again, as we continue on in verse 13. This was the final straw. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement. Now this was outside. This was not his place he could go to get out of the weather or go out just to be away from the Jews. This was out on the pavement, said the stone called Gabbatha. Here's where he's going to make his final judgment. And notice he says, and it was the preparation for the Passover. Now again, it's, this is not the Passover that was on Thursday night that they've already had where Jesus initiated the new covenant in His body. That is the Lord's Supper. This is the next day. This is actually Friday morning real early, probably 6 o'clock in the morning when Jesus is there before Pilate. And now Pilate is going to say, as we come to verse 13b, And he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. They were now celebrating in the rest of the week of Passover, which was a very festive time. There was wine flowing in the streets, as it were. There was food and baked goods and all the good things that people lived. This was a time when the priests were to give to the poor people all that they needed. They would be given money enough so that they would feast with everybody, the wealthiest to the poorest. All were the same. They had that which to enjoy this period of time. They had been symbolized in the Passover, in that meal, the sorrow of the death of the people of Egypt and God's lifting them out and carrying them out, as it were, on eagle's wings. But now as we come to our last verses. In verse 15, we see him saying, But they cried out again, Away with him, away with him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? I think he's kind of enjoying this aspect of it. I think he says it with, with kind of a stinging ridicule and hostility within his voice. He comes out really bold and he says, again, away with him, away with him. Shall I crucify your king? He's putting it on them. We, the Romans, will carry out what our duty is to you, but don't say that I've done it. Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. And now again, that great rejection. They rejected God, that is, Jehovah. They didn't just reject His Son, whom God made as a man, who Himself bowed the knee to His Father to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was made man to humble Himself in every part of His humanity just to become a man. But He did it for us that we might have salvation. And this is the debt that we owe Him. Hell is just not a place in darkness with air conditioner or just over warmth. It's God's justice on men who are guilty of the blood of Christ. But now notice again as we see this passage open for us. Go back to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And you see Christ has already spoken to these men about their end. Chapter 23 and 24 is what is known as the Olivet Discourse and actually part of 25. But Jesus is telling them about the coming 
Roman legions who are going to destroy the temple. And he's telling them that it's coming because of them. It's not the people. It's the leaders. The people are like sheep following them. So again now, when we come to chapter 23, we see Jesus Himself speaking to the leaders. He gives them eight woes. Now a woe in Scripture is a curse. You have the weald and the woe. The W-I-E-L-D, the weald. That's God's blessing. And it's interesting in this passage and in the book of Revelation, there's only two words in all the Bible that are used in triplet. Like when we get to Isaiah's visions, the cherubim fly around the throne of heaven and they, they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy. In the book of Revelation, we see the one on the horse, that is Christ Himself saying, Woe, woe, woe unto you the inhabitants of the earth. This is, I believe, God's calling about. When His judgment comes, it's over. And now He gives eight woes to the scribes and the Pharisees in chapter 23 of Matthew. And He starts out, beginning in that chapter, He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you neither go in nor allow them to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass the sea and land to make one proselyte. And then when he's made, he is made twofold more the child of hell than ever. He goes on with those, but now when we get down to verses 36 through, through 38, Jesus has already poured out these woe, what God is going to do to them. Now there are the exceptions. There's Nicodemus. There's Joseph of Arimathea. We're told there are different believers, even in the times of Paul, that there are those who are in the household of Caesar and in among the Jews' leaders, Sanhedrin even. And so we're not just discounted that all, every one of them are evil. But now in verse 35. Now Jesus tells him in 34, He says, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and you'll kill them all. You've already done that. He goes back to their history, that they've killed them already in history. But now he says, that upon you may come the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Bacarius. Now we don't know who that was, but he was probably a prophet of God whom they killed back in those days. Whom you slew between the temple and the altar. So we know it was after David's time till Israel was taken in bondage. Verily, verily, I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. He's not saying it's coming over oh, 2,000, 4,000 years from now. He's talking to them and he's saying to them, all these things God's given to you in chapter 23 of Matthew and chapter 24 will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thee, your children, thy children, together, even as a hen gathers her chicks 
under her wings and you would not. Got the picture there? Now, Jerusalem, Jerusalem means, it's, it's a way of speaking like we do. We say, those people in Washington. And if we pray, I say, Washington, Washington. God, have mercy on your soul. Because God is the same God. You're the same wicked people. Those who break their promises and their vows and swear their, put their hand on the Bible and say, we will do these things. They are just like these people. Now, we can say, they're not quite as bad. These men had the truth of God, and God spoke to them by His Son. But He says again, how often I would have gathered your children. That's because, again, He looks at the nation and the leaders. The leaders, we call them our forefathers. We look how they lead and guide. These men were the people of Jerusalem. They were the leaders whom He would have gathered them, but He said they would not. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, You shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Actually, that would be Jehovah. As we come to the end this morning, remember, these are men. Remember yourself who Jesus is. See, people like to think less of Jesus because they don't want to wholly think of Him as God. I've said this over and over, and I hope it sinks in when we speak of Jesus. Somehow Jesus, because He's got flesh on His body, on His bones, He's not thought of that much. Just remember what we keep saying. Jesus, the very Son of God, He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, that is, God the Son, by Him were all things made. There was nothing that was made that was not made except by Him. Paul tells us in Colossians, by Him all things literally hold together. He is God and He is man. As one person, He's bound by that one person who is God. Second person of the Trinity, one person of the Trinity, but He has two natures. In His human nature, He has taken upon Him flesh and blood. Not fallen, He had no sin in Him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the conception. But He took on Himself human flesh, and He chose to take on flesh. He was not a sinner, but His flesh was, again, affected by the weaknesses of the fall. What I mean by that? Jesus as God in men, He could still die. He could still bleed. He could still be hungry. He could suffer all the things that any human being born could suffer, yet without sin. And so now when Jesus again, He comes forth out of the grave. He's still a man. We will one day have a body like He has without any sin in it. Immortal incorruptible and we will be like him as a man but he also is also God and so when we talk about God or Jesus Christ either one when these men were again smiting the face of Jesus Christ they were doing it thinking he's just a man and we could say he is just a man 
He's a man who's never fallen by sin, but he's a man and he has the weaknesses that we have in the sense that, that are the consequences of the fall without sin. Like when you slap him, his face will turn red and you'll have bruises under his eyes if you smack him and his nose will bleed. We see he gets so weak under the cross they have to give someone else to take his place and carry his cross so they can keep him alive just to put him on the cross. If you're a believer, you have to think, when they've done that, they are slapping God. When these men murder Jesus Christ, they are fulfilling what God's command says not to. When a man kills another man, these men are literally murdering his son, Jesus Christ. They hate him with a passion. And yet, at the same time, they're smiting God. When we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20, we'll close with this. In chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Notice, the church is the church of God. We as elders are to take our place and feed it on the Word of God. Now notice, it is the church of God which He, that is God, that is Jesus Christ, has purchased with His own blood. God has purchased it because Jesus is one person. When He bled on the cross, He was purchasing our salvation with His literal blood, especially when He was being whipped and scourged as the dumb lamb comes before his shears is dead and they bring him to the sacrifice, he says nothing. We are sprinkled in the blood of Christ because the blood represents the covering. Again, remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The debt of sin must be played because blood is what causes us and gives us our life. Life is in the blood. And Christ the man gave his blood for us, for his church. But yet he's God. And because he's God, death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And so we see him as he comes to us there. Just one little quick verse. Now Paul is preaching in chapter 17 of Acts. He's there at Mars Hill, men with all these philosophers. He says, in the time of this ignorance that he's talking about. Remember, they had they made images. No? He said, that time, in their ignorance, God winked at their sins, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. That's Jesus Christ. Remember, all those things we talked about this morning. The man, the man. John emphasizes Christ's humanity in this section because it was, for this reason have I come into the world. So now when we look at this, who are you? Christ says again, and now they took him and again, and now he's delivered him up and he said they led him to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, another symbol of death. The curse of death was in the place he went to die. But in him, the skull came back to life. 
It will be. The resurrection is true. And this is why Christ has come, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, again, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Help us to honor you, to look to you in all things, that we might see the debt that you paid for us in our place, condemned you stood. And all the things we saw this morning in this text, you took it on yourself voluntarily in our place. And we ought to be of all men most thankful. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.